When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of For Real is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial of Book Riot Insiders. Sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription, and the first 14 days are free. You can wishlist upcoming releases you're dying to read, get exclusive podcasts and newsletters, and enter to win swag. Um, you also get access to the new release index, which is a curated list of books by all the books host Liberty Hardy that will help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming new releases. Come on in. Your bag of bookish perks is waiting. Go to bookriot.com insiders to find out more. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukara, and fellow writer Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Friday, November 23rd. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I am very, very full from Thanksgiving. How are from- you? From Thanksgiving yesterday, I too am full of Thanksgiving leftovers. Uh, we have a bunch at our house, and it is delicious. Tell what it what is like the best thing that you ate yesterday? Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. I know we did. It was so much good stuff. Um, my sister made the turkey, and it was it was a really good turkey. Uh, and my mom made these like weird app. Or they were not weird. They were these appetizers that were basically just like cheese and flour and like these flat cheese biscuit things, and they were. So good. I ate like 10,000 of them. It was delicious. Uh, how about you? What did you eat yesterday? Oh, gosh. Well, I am a, I'm a pescatarian. So I, I actually had Thanksgiving this year with my girlfriend and her family for the first time, which was exciting. Um, so she made a um, like butternut squash pasta for me Ooh. Uh, while they were like doing turkey. Yeah. So that was really good. And then they, of course, did like mashed potatoes. And I do – okay, I, I do have gravy. Like I eat gravy – it's my like exception <laughs> that I have decided on and uh, I have no regrets about it. So I had mashed potatoes and gravy and then we got this pie from – there's a Chicago pie shop called Bang Bang and they make amazing pies. And so we got this pumpkin pie from them and I had to go pick it up because it's like kind of near where I live and no one stalked me. And uh, I had they had to pick it up like on the back of a truck because so many people pre-order from them. So like Tuesday, I like went inside the pie shop and they were like, oh, no, you have to go out to the truck outside. What? So they were just like, yeah, they like checked off your name and just like gave you a pie. Sounds super sketchy, but also kind of awesome to be getting a pie out of a back of a truck. Yeah. And it was delicious. Right? Like it's so. sort of illegal and you're like secretly getting your pie. <laughs> Except then they check your name off a list. So then that probably like takes away the like... Yeah, that's cool. Um, no, there's so, like a pie heist or something. Exactly. Sorry, go on. Yes. So uh, <laughs> in terms of follow-up, um, I wanted to mention, so I think like several episodes ago, I talked about The Fifth Risk by Michael Lewis in probably the new book section, um, which is a new book he wrote about sort of the function of government in and not functioning of government in the Trump administration and how like the transition from the Obama uh, era staff to the Trump staff was basically non-existent. Um, and the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I feel like when I talked about it, like in my head, this was like a four or 500 page, like epic book about uh, government bureaucracy. And like, I was very excited about that, but it is actually not 
that long at all. It's like 250 pages. Um, so it's a super quick read, but it's very interesting talking just about like how much goes into transitioning government from one administration to the other and like how many programs are happening in the government that nobody really knows about and why all of that like actual administration of the functions of government is important. Um, so I got it from the library last week and it was a really quick read and, but it's super fascinating. So if you're a government nerd, um, I think that the fifth risk by Michael Lewis is definitely, um, worth picking up. I really enjoyed it. So that was my one big piece of follow-up. Uh, do you have other follow-up? Um, I have like, since this is a nonfiction podcast, I have like a little side informational thing. I have talked in the past about dinosaur books cause I love them. And uh, mm-hmm. there, I was watching a Nova special yesterday because that's what I do with my time. And it was talking about how <laughs> this one dinosaur they found has wings on its like arms and its legs. So it was a full what? yeah, it was insane. What? And this is an old Nova special, so I was like, there are so many things <laughs> that are ridiculous that I like have been out, and I had no idea that they were a thing. So just FYI, four winged dinosaur. That's amazing. Wow. Oh, the other thing we should follow up with real quick is that um, right before we were, or right after we recorded our last episode, the National Book Award winners were announced. Uh, and the nonfiction winner was a book called The New Negro, The Life of Alan Locke by Jeffrey, Jeffrey C. Stewart, or Elaine Locke, maybe? A-L-A-I-N. Um, and this is a giant biography of um, the, uh, the father of the Harlem Renaissance. So Locke was a man who mentored artists like Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston and Jacob Lawrence. Um, and so this book from Oxford Uni- University Press is 944 pages and is considered definitive. Um, and I, so I was looking it up because it's not a book that I would have uh, would normally gotten on my radar. Um, and the New York Times Review said, um, the benefits of the thoroughness of the book are manifold. Chief among them is that the book's example as a master, the book's example as a master class in how to trace the lineage of a biographical subject's ideas and predilections, um, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. So, uh, if you are into reading award-winning books, uh, *The New Negro* by Jeffrey C. Stewart was this year's National Book Award winner in nonfiction. So, yeah, nine hundred forty-four pages. That's a that's yeah. a commitment. So that is a commitment. <laughs> Also, yeah. good on the New York Times yeah. for using predilections because that is a word I like almost mm-hmm. never use, but it's a great word. I know. I was worried I was going to say it wrong as I was reading that. So, phew. All right. So before we jump into the rest of the episode, we're going to go to our first sponsor. Uh, So this week's episode is sponsored by Homer and the Holiday Miracle by Gwen Cooper. Uh, And this is a new book from a New York Times bestselling author. Um, and Homer is a world-renowned blind wonder cat, and he returns in this ho- returns this holiday season with an inspirational tale filled with holiday cheer. This book is humorous and heartwarming, and in it, Homer and the Holiday Miracle will leave you filled with the true spirit of the season. Uh, it is a great stocking stuffer for the cat lover on your list and the perfect holiday treat for yourself. Um, and it just sounds extremely charming because I love books about cats. So uh, family, if you are listening to this podcast, you should maybe look up this book, Homer and the Holiday Miracle by Gwen Cooper, uh, which sponsors this week's episode. That seems very in line with like the the Christmas movies that come out around this time, like Hallmark and Lifetime and all, you know yeah. what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you kind of expect yep. them to be like, you're like, oh, those are going to be like really like, you know, this thing that I'm expecting and very heartwarming, but also you really, really want to watch them. Uh, I don't yep. understand it, but it works every time. 
Jet my yeah, I my sister loves them a lot. I love them a moderate amount. Um and actually my my favorite one is actually one called Nine Lives of Christmas, which is about a uh veterinary student, a firefighter, and uh her orange tabby cat. And it is just so freaking adorable. I can't even. Uh so there we go. All right. Uh, so our first segment every week is new books. Um, we're going to do a little bit of an abbreviated new book segment this week since we want to spend as much time as possible on our holiday gift guide episode. Um, so Alice, I'll let you kick off new books this week. Yeah. So we're in that winding down time, of course, with publishing where there are not mm-hmm. a lot of new books. So but I'm trying to also sort of get some from November uh, in the, the deluge we had then that I missed. So one is A Stranger's Pose by Emmanuel Iduma. It came out November 7th from Cassava Republic press. So this is mainly sort of, okay, Manuel Aduma traveled around to various African cities and took photos and kind of like wrote this travelogue. Um, I talked about Gustavo oh, Republic cool. Press before because they did that book about um, queer Nigerian women speaking out. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really interested in them as a press. And then I was looking into their their upcoming books and this really stuck out. And if you, if you don't, if you can't get your hands on this book, I had as, uh, sorry, advise uh, looking up Emmanuel Iduma. It's I D U M A, and just look at some of his photographs because they're they're pretty striking. So basically, in this, he blends memoir, travelogue, and storytelling to kind of give these um, fragments of his journey across these African cities um, between uh, 2011 and 2015. So um, this also includes uh, an excuse my pronunciation, but an arrest in a market in. Unjamena being punished by a gendarme officer on a Cameroonian highway and meeting the famed photographer Malik Sidibe in Bamako. So um, I feel like I don't have a lot of books about Africa come across, you know, my radar in general, just because they're not, mm-hmm. you know, you don't see like, I don't, I don't want to call out specific publishers, but basically you don't see, you just don't see a lot of them in like the mainstream, like on Twitter and stuff. So um, I really appreciate them um, publishing this literature and um, I'm really trying to like keep an eye out for it now. So again, that is A Stranger's Pose by Emmanuel Iduma. Excellent pick. That's really interesting. Um, so my first pick is one that I really I haven't gotten to read or preview at all. I just saw it in a couple of new books lists and I thought, boy, this sounds really like fun and interesting and strange and uh, totally outside what I would normally read perhaps. So uh, the book is called The Woo Woo, How I Survived Ice Hockey, Drug Raids, Demons, and My Crazy Chinese Family by Lindsay Wong. Uh, and it came out in early November, November 6th from Arsenal Pulp Press. Um, and so this is a memoir by a young woman who came of age in a uh, what the book calls a dysfunctional Asian family um, whose members of the family blamed their woes on ghosts and demons when um, perhaps actually they should have been on antipsychotic medication. Um, so the book is about how her grandmother, who was uh, diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic, and then her Lindsay Wong's mother, they were all kind of afraid of what they called the woo-woo, which was uh, Chinese ghosts who would then visit during times of personal turmoil. And so her whole family's belief in this and their um, connection to it resulted in having a pretty um, messed up childhood. And so because the family kept making all these choices, trying to avoid the ghosts that they thought were coming. Um, And so eventually when uh, the author starts to kind of experience some of these symptoms for herself, she has to sort of figure out like what is really going on here and what, what do I need to understand? Um, yeah, and so the the book jacket talks about it being a, a really interesting depiction of both mental illness and the Asian immigrant experience, which uh, I think sounds uh, super interesting and just um, part of 
which is an interesting way to, to read about a different type of culture and family. So, um, yeah, like I said, I haven't really gotten to preview this one at all. It just sounded really interesting to me. And um, that book is called The Woo Woo, How I Survived Ice Hockey, Drug Raids, Demons, and My Crazy Chinese Family by Lindsay Wong. That's another great subtitle. You should add that. I know, to the right? List. Also, yeah. quick side note, <laughs> of course, not that I do this frequently, but um, have you watched the show Lore by Aaron Mankey? I have not. La- no. Okay, I watched one today and it involved um they talked about this doctor who did ice pick lobotomies, but then it talked about how oh, yeah, I know it's horrible. But it was in the 20th century and it said that the one of the main reasons that he got phased out was because of the introduction of the drug Thorazine and how that was like this huge like benefit thing and it helped think like things with um it helped with things like schizophrenia and stuff. So, uh Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, a uh, great job that medication. Um Anyway, that, <laughs> again, sorry, that book title does sound great. Um, okay, which speaking of great book titles, uh, my only other new pick for this yes. week is Seduction, Sex, Lies, and Stardom in Howard Hughes' Hollywood by Karina Longworth. Uh, this came out November 13th from Custom House Press. And uh, Karina Longworth hosts uh, the podcast, You Must Remember This, which if you haven't listened to it, you definitely should. It's about old Hollywood. It's It's intensely researched and really interesting. Um, Kim, have you listened to it? So good. Yeah, it's so good. I love it. Her voice is – it's so great. Yeah, it's such a good podcast. Yeah, and this is – I think this is her first kind of like more mainstream book. I think she had this like first book that had to do about more of the like uh, details of um, the movie-making process or something. I I remember looking at it a while ago and being like, I don't know. But this is about Howard Hughes, um, the, uh, you know, extraordinarily wealthy – millionaire mogul type who was um very instrumental in hollywood in the 1920s through uh, i'm gonna say like the 1950s that's uh that's about it but like he uh he was of course extremely eccentric he also um there, there she sort of ties it in with now you know we have this like obviously harvey weinstein scandal but it's like before harvey weinstein you know there was howard hughes um, so he uh-huh. had this sort of reputation also as being this very prolific womanizer, which is why she's linking it up with that. So he had this his first divorce in the late 1920s, and then he was either married to or linked to a bunch of actresses. Um, he promoted uh, Jean Harlow and Jane Russell. He's the one who, like, designed that uh, bra for Jane Russell for her to wear. Do you know about this story? He uh-uh. used, like, engineering technology that he was using for his airplanes – to, like, construct a better bra. Like, I put quote marks around better. And he, like, gave it to Jane Russell. And she was like, I'm not wearing this. <laughs> this is weird, Howard. Um, so anyway, um, he, of course, became increasingly paranoid and disturbed as he got older. The movie The Aviator is all about him. I recommend that as well. But so Karina Longworth really gets into kind of, like, um, all elements of, of his interactions with women in this book. Uh, so it sounds awesome. Again, her podcast is amazing, but uh, the title is Seduction, Sex, Lies, and Stardom in Howard Hughes' Hollywood by Karina Longworth. I am super excited about that one. I love You Must Remember This. I listened to a bunch of like chunks of it uh, a few years ago when I was uh, commuting a really long way, and it was just a great, um, yeah, great podcast. So I bet it's going to be a great book. Um 
All right, so my second pick is called We the People, a progressive reading of the Constitution for the 21st Century by Erwin Sherminsky. And that book came out November 13th from Picador. Uh, and I actually started this one uh, right when I got a galley of it, and it is fascinating. Um, and so it's, it's a really small little book. I think it's almost like mass market paperback sized. Um, and it is just a look at how uh, conservatives are using the Constitution to advance a particular agenda uh, that favors both businesses and government power over um, people and consumers and employees. Um, and so after kind of explaining how that is happening, he's gonna he offers a progressive uh, blueprint for interpreting the Constitution based specifically on a couple of ideas in the preamble, uh, liberty and justice for all. Um, and the part that I've gotten through so far talks about how um, – this idea that there's a, some sort of like value neutral way of being a judge or that like any of the kind of um, what we think of as like conservative ways of interpreting the Constitution um, and the argument that they're sort of without value is not true, that like all interpretations and all um, – all frameworks of looking at the Constitution bring values to it. And so pretending that any of them are value neutral is, is um, not particularly accurate. So then he's going to go on, the part that I haven't read yet goes on to say, if if there's nothing value, if there's no way to value neutrally evaluate the Constitution, then what should the values we use to interpret them be? And he's going to argue for some sets of progressive values. Um, so I think this just sounds super interesting and sort of like a new way of thinking about um, how our constitution constitution works, which I am uh, interested in, given particularly the new makeup of the Supreme Court and all of that. So um, I'm hoping to be able to finish this one and evaluate it more fully. But uh, the book is called We the People, a progressive reading of the Constitution for the 21st Century by Erwin Shermansky. That sounds so good and so relevant. I know, right? Yeah, they really like nailed it um, in terms of timing. Um, and then before we move on to our next uh, holiday gift guide uh, parts of this uh, episode, I thought we would be remiss if we did not mention that um, Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming, also came out this month, uh, November 13th. And it is poised to be possibly the biggest nonfiction book of the year, um, which I think is very exciting since all of the big nonfiction books of the year so far have been Trump or Trump adjacent. Um, and this one is not, <laughs> not, not so much. Um, although I suppose like backlash to Trump may be part of the reason that it's doing so well. It's hard to say, but, uh, it's poised to be the biggest book of the year. It certainly had the biggest first week, first day sales. I think I can't remember exactly. Um, but I'm listening to it on audiobook and it is, is really good. Um, I like her narrating and it's, it's interesting to hear from her, even if the book is a little bit more restrained than, I kind of wish it was, but um, it's it's been super interesting so far. So uh, if you have not picked up Becoming, which you may have because it's sold a lot of copies already, um, I think it's uh, it's probably worth it. So Becoming Michelle Obama also came out this month, and we I didn't want to not mention that and feel like we would have missed a big story if we didn't. Yeah, I had at least one person reach out to me on Instagram, and they were like, oh, is, do you, is this worth buying? And I was like, I haven't read it, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Thank you should buy it. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Okay, so our other sponsor for today uh, is Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child, uh, by, published by Ben Bella Books. So the author, James Breakwell, 
is best known for his parenting humor Twitter account at Exploding Unicorn, uh, which has more than a million <laughs> followers. Now James brings his hilarious parenting stories and tongue-in-cheek advice to print in his new book, Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. A breath of fresh air in a culture of parent shaming and mom guilt, James tells worried parents what they actually need to hear. So if you have any, you know, like new parents in your life or <laughs> anyone who you think could really benefit from this book, <laughs> uh, think about Bare Minimum Parenting. And thank you, Ben Bella Books, for sponsoring. Excellent. So now we are going to switch gears and we're going to do our holiday gift guide. Um, so we have this divided out into two segments, I guess. Uh, the first one will be a couple of reader uh, requests or recommendation requests that we got. So we're going to try to talk through those uh, and then we will switch gears and talk about some of our kind of more general uh, nonfiction gift recommendations for different types of uh, readers or people with different interests in your lives. Um so yeah, so that's how we're going to go with it because everybody likes talking about presents uh, and gifts you can give people. So um, our first reader request came from Francie uh, and she mailed emailed asking or saying, I'm looking for a recommendation for a book for my father-in-law. He loved Love and Terror on the Howling Plains of Nowhere by Poe Ballantyne and has censored all of Ballantyne's works. Ballantyne writes about his experiences traveling around the United States, usually by Greyhound and working odd jobs in small towns. I uh, race about meeting other interesting characters. He eventually settles in Chadron, Nebraska with his wife and son, where nothing much ever happens, but it does seem to be full of eccentric people. Uh, so the local police are completely unequipped to solve the first murder that happens in decades. I'd love recommendations for any similar authors. Uh, and this one sounded super interesting. So I, I looked up Hope Ballantyne because I was not familiar with him. Uh, and so the thing that surprised me and made me very excited to actually read more of his books is that the book she references, Love and Terror in the Howling Plains of Nowhere, uh, Cheryl Strayed actually wrote the introduction for that book. Um, and she talks about how much she loves Poe Ballantyne, which um, I love Cheryl Strayed. She wrote Wild and um, she was Dear Sugar and... Um, her Dear Sugar columns were collected in Tiny Beautiful Things, which is an amazing, good gift of a book. Um, so knowing that she really liked this guy made me excited. So I, I checked out his book from the library and started it, and it's really fun so far. Um, but it reminded me of, I think, one author and then one other book. Uh, and so, well, two books. Uh the first book is uh, Population 45, Meeting Your Neighbors One Siren at a Time by Michael Perry. Um, and so Michael Perry is a Wisconsin author, um, and he has written several books. But Population 485 is about um, him moving back to his hometown in Wisconsin uh, that has a population of 485 people. And so what he decides to do to sort of like get back to get to know people again after he's moved home as an adult um, and become friends with people in this area is to join the Volunteer Fire and Rescue team. And so the whole book is just about becoming a volunteer firefighter and the different calls and um, community building that happens through that um, through that group. Um, so there's no murders in it as far as I remember, but it does have that sort of like eccentric character, small town vibe. Um, and I felt like Poe Ballantyne's writing style matched up with Michael Perry's a little bit. So um, I like Population 45, but Michael Perry has uh, several other books that might work if that one is one that um, your father-in-law has has read already. Um, I think Michael Perry is quite funny and I enjoy him very much. Um, and then the second suggestion I had was um, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, a Savannah story by John Berend, which I think we've talked about before. Yep. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, I think maybe in the true crime episode. I can't remember though. Um, 
But anyway, Men in the Garden of Good and Evil is a true crime story about a um, man in Savannah, Georgia, who is accused of murdering his um, younger lover. And um, so the the story is just about like that trial. And I think he goes on trial and then there's a hung- there's a couple of trials and the whole legal process of it takes a really long time. But it's more about um, like Savannah, Georgia and all of the like interesting characters and stuff who live there. Um, so it's very much a story about that place. Um, and it just has this murder story at the center of it as kind of a a plot to move through these other people. Um, and that's another book that I enjoyed very much. And so I think it has a little bit of the true crime community story that uh, you mentioned in the the other book. So um, yeah, those are the two books, Population 45 and Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil that I would recommend for your father-in-law. So thank you, Francie, for emailing us some recommendation requests. Um, our next one, we have like a couple of, of questions. So I'm going to take the first one from Alyssa. Uh, mm-hmm. is, uh, she said, I'm looking for some Christmas gifts for my sister-in-law. Recently, she's taken to reading World War I books. So I'm looking for some historical nonfiction about that era that aren't just a history book, which I thought that was an interesting qualifier um so i feel like the clear go-to for world war one seems to be barbara tookman's pulitzer prize winning the guns of august um it's also called august 1914 it's about the 30 days that determined the course of the war um and it sounds amazing i love barbara tookman she also wrote this book about um i think it's 15th century europe and she is just like brilliant and (laughs) awesome and uh yeah i i love her anyway so that one um, but for if you're looking, you know, again, for not just a history book, then um, there is Goodbye to All That, an autobiography by Robert Graves. Um, it was published in 1929 and includes his experiences with trench warfare in France. Robert Graves uh, was a poet, a writer, obviously. He, uh, he also wrote I, Claudius, which I have talked about on the podcast before. And um, he's very funny and also um, but very good at, you know, getting to like kind of the uh, serious emotions of the thing. And I, I queued up the uh, the first sentence of goodbye to all that, which is, uh, as a proof of my readiness to accept autobiographical convention, let me at once record my two earliest memories. Which, <laughs> right? I was like, <laughs> oh, you're great. I love you, Robert Graves. So, um, and then a third sort of um, on the other side of things recommendation is Storm of Steel by Ernst Jünger. Uh, which who gives an account of the fighting from the German side, uh, particularly from someone who fought against what he assumed was the oppressor. So, you know, like a, a German soldier being like, you know, I, you know, like we're on the right side. Like we're, <laughs> we're fighting the, the English because they're trying to take over things or whatever. I don't know why they thought that. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it, I haven't read the book yet, but I bet he explains. Um, it was a bestseller at the time in the 1920s and is generally uh, well known among people who I do not know enough about World War One, Kim. This is something i'm trying to remedy but these books um i have read stuff by robert graves he's great i've read stuff by barbara tookman she's great i have not read anything by ernst jünger but again bestseller of its time so seems great it's pretty good those are good recommendations yeah i do not read a lot about world war one either so i'm glad you had some ideas for that one because that is out of my wheelhouse 
Um, so Alyssa's second request is uh, for her brother-in-law. Um, so my brother-in-law recently told me about a German family who got lost in Death Valley and the mystery of what happened to them. What other real-life disappearance nonfiction is out there that I could give him for Christmas? Um, and so the one that I am going to suggest is called The Lost City of Z by David Gran. Uh, and this is a book that is about the story of an explorer named Percy Fawcett, who is uh, uh, who's a legend, a legendary British explorer. Um, and he, in 1925, he ventured into the Amazon with a party and also his 21-year-old son uh, looking for this fabled lost civilization that no one had ever been able to find before, but he thought that he was going to be able to. Uh, but it turns out he could not, and the entire party vanished. Um, and so finding Fawcett and the Lost City of Z was an obsession of many explorers for many decades, but no one really has. Um, and so in this book, David Grant kind of recounts what we know about Percy Fawcett and his last uh, crusade into the Amazon. And then uh, he kind of goes into the Amazon himself to see what he can find. Um, and I thought it was really an interesting um, interesting read about somebody disappearing into the jungle. Uh, they made it into a movie, which is um, fine, but not as good. Um, I think the book is great and would definitely scratch the itch of disappearance nonfiction. I like that movie, okay? I guess, I guess that I agree with your fine assessment. Yeah, it was yeah, it wasn't like mind blowing, but like I enjoyed it. So yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, sort of quick uh, accompaniment to that is Skyjack: The Hunt for DB Cooper by Jeffrey Gray. Um, so DB Cooper is a media epithet popularly used to refer to an unidentified man <laughs> who hijacked a Boeing seven twenty seven aircraft. Um, it's oh gosh, I took this from Wikipedia and it's I'm looking at it now and I'm like it's overly specific. Basically, he, this guy got on a flight. <laughs> In the 19, in 1971, <laughs> and he told the stewardess of now flight attendant that he had a, uh, uh, I think he, that he had a bomb, and uh, yeah, and yeah, basically so. that you know I need this money, I need a parachute, like all of this stuff, and he ended up um, taking this money and jumping off the plane, um, and no one has ever seen him, and <laughs> a lot of people have assumed that he died uh, for a number of good reasons. But um, but we actually don't know. And there's a lot of really fascinating research done around him and this, like, who was he? And no one knows. And um, the reason he's called D.B. Cooper is that he used the alias Dan Cooper to buy the ticket. And um, there was, like, a series of media miscommunications. And so then he just became known as D.B. Cooper. But so Skyjack um, by Jeffrey Gray is kind of about, like, this hunt for uh, D.B. Cooper and and what some possible theories are. And I don't know. I think that D.B. Cooper is fascinating. I don't think I'm alone in that as evidenced by this book. Yeah, definitely. That's a good one. Um, yeah, awesome. So uh, let's see. Alyssa's final request is uh, for a book for her mom. And she says, my mom likes the new show on Netflix, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Um, she says, the stories of food and the people are really interested in her. What other food nonfiction is there out there for her to try? Um, and so the first obvious one, which I think you probably know what I will mention anyway, is that there is actually a book uh, called uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat um, by Samin Nora. Wow, Samin Nosrat. I totally said that wrong. Um, so if uh, you haven't tried the book and like the show, you could definitely pick up the book. Um, but the other two food nonfiction books I wanted to mention are, the first one's called The Cooking Gene, A Journey Through African-American Culinary History in the Old South by Michael W. Twitty. Um, and so in this book, uh, the author traces his history uh, from his, his black family and his white family through food from Africa to America and from slavery to freedom. Um, and so it's a book about the origins of soul 
soul food and how that has changed over time, uh, and then the ways that food connects people to race and culture. Um, and this one got a bunch of a bunch of the Book Riot um, contributors and staff read this one and all really liked it. Um, I've it came up on our back channel, our Slack, several times as a really good book. So I think that one, in terms of its like food and history, would be a good one. Um, so it's the Cooking Gene by Michael W. Twitty, and uh, the second book is another one that's more memoir, um, but still about food. And it's called Love, Loss, and What We Ate by Padma Luxemi, who is the host of, uh, oh my gosh, Top Chef. There we go. Um, and so it's a memoir about her life uh, from an immigrant to a television star, um, from growing up eating rice in her grandmother's kitchen in South India to all of the amazing food that she gets to eat as the host of Top Chef. Um, and so it's a book that's a kind of about how uh, what we eat is an extension of how we love, how we comfort, how we forge a sense of home, and how we taste the world as we navigate our way through it, which is a quote from the book jacket, which I really enjoyed. So um, a couple of food nonfiction books, um, The Cooking Gene by Michael W. Twitty and Love, Loss, and What We Ate by Padma Lakshmi. Um, both might be great for someone who loves Netflix Did food you- documentaries. And Sorry, I had a quick our... little tag onto that. <laughs> Did you watch the 30 Rock episode yeah. that Pama Lakshmi uh, guest starred on? Oh, I probably did, but I don't remember it. Where she basically invents the sandwich bag and Jack is like, Jack is like, oh, a sandwich <laughs> bag. And she's like, no, Jack, it's a new thing that I invented. <laughs> and I just <laughs> think of that quote way too often. Anyway, yes, right. So those were our specific ones. <laughs> uh, that that show is that show was great for people going on and like making fun of the way we think about them. Um, and it takes a, like a good personality to be able to go on and like make fun of yourself in that way. So that makes me happy to hear. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So now uh, we thought we would shift gears into some kind of more general recommendations for people who fit particular types of categories to hope that one of these might uh, fit someone that you are trying to find a, a gift for. Um, so my first two books are both, I think, interesting for pe- – they're, they're more food books um, for people specifically for people who love wine, um, I have two suggestions. Um, the first one is a book called Cork Dork, a wine-fueled adventure among the obsessive sommeliers, big bottle hunters, and rogue scientists who taught me to live for taste by Bianca Bosker. Um, this is a book that came out in paperback or came out earlier this year. Uh, it's written by a journalist who decides one day that she is going to quit her job and she's going to become a master sommelier. Um, so she basically just goes all in and for the period of time, I think it was like a year she was going to get ready for the master sommelier test. Um, she just like goes all in to learn about wine and she um, starts working at a restaurant and she starts shadowing these like big name restaurant tours. She goes to a bunch of classes to try and learn all the things you have to learn to become a sommelier. Yay. And then she goes and takes the test. Um, and so it's her kind of stunt memoir about that. But then it's also just a really interesting book about wine and wine culture and learning to understand and enjoy wine better. And that how a lot of it is not as um, not as complicated as we think it might be, even though the sommelier thing is pretty pretty hardcore and intense. Um, so that's kind of a pretty, it's a, a lighthearted, I would say, book, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it's Cork Dork by Bianca Bosker. And then um, the second book is a little more science-y. Uh, it's called Tasting the Past, The Science of Flavor and the Search for the Origins of Wine by Kevin Bagos. And this is a book looking at the science of wine. So specifically looking at um, the DNA of grapes, which I think is like the most fascinating thing, like that you could even do that. Um and the different um, 
And then uh, like all of the different tools we have at our disposal to try and understand, you know, what our food is made of and what wine is made of and how different grapes we have today are connected to grapes of the past and how a little bit of how like wine has become so um, commercialized and so trying to make it so standardized that we're losing some of the sort of unique flavors and grapes and things that used to make different regional wines interesting. Um, so it's like a history of wine and then a, like the science of understanding it too. Um, and I read I actually haven't gotten to finish this one, but I've read a few chapters and it's really fun and interesting. So uh, that book is called Tasting the Past, The Science of Flavor and the Search for the Origins of Wine by Kevin Bagos. So if you love wine, either one of those titles I think would be excellent gifts. Um, I almost burst out laughing when you said cork dork, just FYI. <laughs> well, I managed to restrain myself. It's um that's a good title. I like it. Yeah, it's real good. Uh, so I have uh, three quick picks for people who love nature. Um, that's sort of usually a favorite category of mine. And um, I feel like almost any nature book is like pretty awesome. So my first one is the <laughs> – whatever, Kim. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. <laughs> uh, my first, my first pick is The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World by Peter Volleben. Um, so this is basically Peter Volleben is like a huge dork about, if we're going back to that word, uh, about the woods and forests. And he looks into how um, basically the, the unknown life of trees and their communication abilities. So basically uh, tree parents live together with their children and they communicate with them and support them as they grow. And they like share nutrients with trees that are sick and struggling. And I honestly, I maybe it's the holidays. I'm feeling very emotional right now just thinking about trees taking care of each other. Yeah. So uh, this book sounds amazing. I really, really want to read it. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to say I've never hugged a tree. And if, if you haven't, I recommend the experience. They're all around us, giving us so many things. Um, anyway, so yeah, again, that's The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Volleben. The second is H is for Hawk by Helen McDonald, which um, is a, a sad book. So if you're in a place to kind of deal with that, it's basically um, she has always been into like falconry and, and working with um, raptor birds uh, throughout her life and been very fascinated by them. And then her father, who she was very, very close with, died. And she plunges into this very dark depression and she at the same time decides she's going to try to tame this very, very um, difficult wild hawk called, and I'm going to get this wrong, I want to say goshawk, but it's G-O-S-H-A-W-K. So maybe it's goshawk, but I think it's goshawk. And um, so it's kind of her experience with that and talking about her father and her own life. And um, it's it's very, very good. It was on a lot of like top lists, um, I think a couple years ago. Does that sound right? Mm -hmm. it, it's still yeah. in like the – if you go to like notable nonfiction, it's usually like in that section of the bookstore. Um, but yeah, again, H is for Hawk by Helen McDonald. And then – Lastly, The Invention of Nature, Alexander von Humboldt's New World by Andrea Wolf. Um, so Alexander von Humboldt was a uh, basically a, another sort of scientist nerd around the um, like 18th to 19th century, right when that was real popular to be that. But um, he ended up kind of creating modern environmentalism. This was one of New York Times' 10 best books of the year. It won the Los Angeles Times Book Prize. It was a finalist for the Carnegie Medal. Um, it has a really beautiful cover, which I'm always on board for. So uh, <laughs> if you're kind of interested in in more like how have we how did we arrive at like our ideas of environmentalism and like our current sort of ideas of nature, um, check out The Invention of Nature, Alexander von Humboldt's New World by Andrea Wolf. 
Excellent. That sounds fun. Um, so my uh, next two picks are suggestions for if you have someone in your life who loves video games, who you would like to get a book for. Um, and the first one is called The Game Console, a photographic history from Atari to Xbox by Evan Amos. Uh, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's um, not quite a coffee table book. It's like eight and a half by 11 probably. And it's just a photographic history of video games. So it takes all of these different video game consoles and sort of takes them apart and shows these really cool pictures of them and talks about the history of all of that. Um, it's just like a really fun book to like flip through. Um, and I'm not a super video game person, but I like to play kind of casually and I have a lot of friends who are video game people. Um, and so I think somebody who is really into that would have fun just kind of flipping through and looking at the different systems and reading a little bit about the history of them. So if you're looking for sort of a more, I guess, casual coffee table-ish kind of book, um, The Game Console by Evan Amos would be a good one. Um, and then the second one is, actually I actually have three now, and now that I'm looking at my list again. <laughs> Good job, Kim. Um, the second book is called Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle that Defined a Generation by Blake Harris. Um, this is a book that came out several years ago that I thought was super fascinating. Um, and it's basically a behind-the-scenes look, a uh, business book at how Sega, which was at the time a small, scrappy company, took on Nintendo to revolutionize the entire gaming industry. Um, so it's right around 1990. Um, Nintendo was basically a monopoly on video games. And then this guy named Tom Kalinske came to Sega and turned things around and brought Sonic the Hedgehog and basically made Sega competitive with Nintendo and sort of revamped the whole industry. Um, and I just thought it was a super interesting kind of behind the scenes look at that whole industry, something like I had no idea about um, and just learning about how characters that we're familiar with now kind of grew and changed during this time. So um, History of Video Games, I think that's an interesting one. Console Wars by Blake Harris. Uh, and then if you're a little bit more cerebral or trying to understand video games more. Um, Extra Lives, Why Video Games Matter by Tom Basala is another one I really liked. Um, and that was just a collection of different essays on um, the art and meaning of video games. So it just kind of does some... Um, I like books that take um, different forms or different pop culture seriously and like gives them the kind of serious critical attention that they deserve. Um, and so that's what this book does. He just kind of does some memoir. He does some literary or video game criticism. He does some reporting just about video games and what is interesting about them. Um, and so I really enjoyed it. It was a nice kind of good essay to collection to sort of pop in and out of. And so that was Extra Lives by Tom Bissell. Did you play Sonic the Hedgehog growing up? No, I did not play video games growing up. My parents would not let us have a video game system until, like, the Nintendo Wii, oh, I think. Oh, wow. That's, um, like, exactly so yeah, was, when I – no, I stopped playing them when Nintendo 64 came out. Mm -hmm. But I played on, like, every other. So we had, like, a Graphic 16 and we had a Sega Genesis and we had, um, like, the 8-bit Nintendo and then we had um, Super Nintendo, which was my favorite system of all time. Um, I had I had like a Game Boy, but like not the Game Boy Color. It was like the old school, like giant Game Boy that took like mm -hmm. a ton of batteries. Um, but yeah, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is like uh, so fun. <laughs> like thinking about it right now, I'm like, I want to play Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I know what I'm going to get you for Christmas now. <laughs> I'll just tip your hand right there. Um, okay. So um, I have books for people who love books. Um, and if that's all you know about them, then that's great. So, uh, these are pretty much books about books are kind of like a hole in one. If you have a friend who loves books, just because like we mm -hmm. we're suckers for it every single time as you, the listener of this nonfiction book podcast is probably aware. So 
uh, real quick. Um, so Ex Libris, uh, Confessions of a Common Reader by Anne Fadiman. We've talked about that before. The reason we have is that it's just a really good, lovely essay collection. And um, it's sort of like it's very pretty and like this elegant sort of like um, – I don't know. It has this really nice like gift appearance. So if you're looking for something that you want that's like just going to look nice and then also be like this wonderful experience for the person, uh, I recommend Ex Libris. Uh, Secondly, Bibliophile, an illustrated miscellany illustrated by Jane Mount of Ideal Bookshelf. Kim, have you seen those floating around like the Ideal Bookshelf prints? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she like – um, she, you can send in like here are the books that I want you to like illustrate, and she'll get she, like you can commission like basically an illustrated bookshelf of like your favorite titles like as a print. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's awesome. So she did this um, book bibliophile. Um, I think it's published by Chronicle Books, which you know typically does really pretty books, and um, it's just like lots of really pretty book illustrations. And whenever I've looked at it, I'm like, oh, that looks really awesome. And I kind of think I might get it. But anyway, so Bibliophile and Illustrated Miscellany, great for a gift. And then my last recommendation, although Kim, I think you might have one, is uh, Tolstoy and the Purple Chair, My Year of Magical Reading by Nina Sankovic. Nina Sankovic had uh, a fair amount of time on her hands and also is a very fast reader and decided to read one book a day for a year. Um, this book was a little intimidating because I, uh, do not read that much, but, um, (laughs) but it was also really interesting in terms of like kind of the, uh, things that she gleaned from that and what books really stuck out to her. And it's, I don't know. I just like reading about people reading about books, but anyway, so yes, those are my recommendations for people who love books. Yeah, Twisting the Purple Chair was a really charming book. I really liked that one. Um, and I just have one, another quick sort of like coffee table-ish book um, that fits in kind of this idea. And the book is called Writers Under Surveillance, the FBI Files. And it is just a book that is a collection of like letters and uh, stuff from writers' FBI files. Um which is just like so interesting to flip through because it's got like all the notations and it's got like the stuff that's redacted and you can just see all these writers who have files with the FBI and some of the stuff that was in them. Um, So if you have like a history friend or just need something that's kind of fun to like kind of flip through every once in a while, um, this one looks really, really fun. Uh, It's called Writers Under Surveillance, the FBI Files, and it came out from uh, MIT Press earlier this year. So it's another, just a little bonus suggestion. Um, And then my final little section, I guess, is I just wanted to talk about some books that I thought are just really good reads um, that are now out in paperback. So if you're looking for... um, you know, like a $16, $17 book that you can add to somebody's gift and you want a paperback because that's paperback pricing or whatever. That's just going to be a really good read for somebody. Um, these are some of my recent favorites. Um, so the first one that is very highly recommended uh, is Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant. And that book came out last year and it's a history book about the birth of the FBI Um as they were trying to figure out what was happening to members of the Osage tribe. Uh, Many of them were dying mysteriously or in violent ways, uh, and nobody in that community or the white people in that community were not taking it seriously. And so um, the early FBI comes in and starts to investigate to see what's going on. And it turns out it's this really vast racist conspiracy to um, murder people and steal their money. Um, And the reason that I'm recommending that one is because my mom is someone who... um, 
reads a lot of legal thrillers. Like that's her jam. Um, but she heard me talk about this one and wanted to read it and she loved it. Um, and she is actually like passing it on to my grandma, who is another person who reads a lot of mysteries and legal thrillers and doesn't read a lot of nonfiction. Um, and so I'm hoping that she'll like it too. So I think that's a good one that for, it's good reading, but also like good for people who, um, who don't read a lot of nonfiction. It's very thrillery. Um, so it's, it's really good that way. Um, so that one is highly recommended. Um, another book that I have recommended several times that lots of people have enjoyed uh, is called The Boys in the Boat, Nine Americans and Their Epic Quest for Gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics by Daniel James Brown. Uh, and this is a book about the United States crew team. Uh, and they're, they were a bunch of like college kids from uh, Washington, I believe. Um, and they um, were this working class group of kids that started to take up crew in college and um, eventually became United States champions and then went to Germany and 1936 to compete in the Olympics. And um, I love recommending this one because it is like a sports nonfiction book, but it is a lot more than that. But also the sports in it is so gripping. Like I never thought that I would care about the outcome of a crew race, like a rowing race. Like I just, I, I didn't think I could be made to care about that. And yet I cared so deeply about it as I was reading this book, like just turning the pages being like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I have to find out if they're going to win, which like, obviously I could Wikipedia and find that out, but the book is so good. Um, like it's just the, the writing in it is so amazing. So, uh, that book is, uh, the boys in the boat by Daniel James Brown is a great, um, great read. It's been out in paperback for a while now, so that's not a super new one. Um, one that I read, I think, I think last year that I liked a lot too, uh, is called The Family Gene, A Mission to Turn My Deadly Inheritance into a Hopeful Future by Jocelyn Linder. Uh, and this one is a, um, medical nonfiction book. Uh, the woman, or Jocelyn, the author, um, her family has this history of strange illnesses. And so uh, as she starts to, um, as, as her father um, starts to succumb to whatever this like illness is that they can't really find a name or cause for, um, a genetic uh, scientist comes in and starts to test their genes and finds out that it's actually this like genetic defect that only affects certain people in their family. Um, and so it's a lot about, um, yeah, it's just like a medical mystery trying to figure that out and what it means and what it is meant for uh, her and her sisters and um, her siblings trying to kind of grapple with the idea that they have this really serious, strange, rare genetic mutation. Um, and I thought it was, again, it's just really fascinating and a good read. Um, and it's got like a mystery to it, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and then the last one is maybe, I guess, a little political, but uh, it's another just like incredible read, I thought. Um, my book is called Another Day in the Death of America, A Chronicle of Ten Short Lives by Gary Young. And um, I think we've talked about this one before also. Um, but it's worth bringing up again. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, so it is a book. Uh, so what Gary Young did, he's a British journalist. He picked a day in America and he wrote uh, chapters in the book about each of the young people. So I think people under 18 who were killed by guns on that day in the United States. Um, and he kind of explains in the beginning of the book how he chose the day he chose. Um, but it's essentially like... It is a day, but it's essentially like an average day. Um, there are 10 people under 18 who are killed by guns. And so he just tries to write a chapter about each of them and um, through those stories gets at um, different ways that guns have entered our culture, different types of uh, gun crimes, and just like sort of the extent to which gun culture in the United States is 
messed up and uh, killing people. Um, and I thought it was just incredible. Like his essays, each of them is really um, touching and thoughtful. And he really gets at different aspects of gun culture through each of these stories, which I thought was um, really impressive. So um, that's another one that it's, I think, worth reading and it continues to be timely, even I think three years after it was originally published. So uh, that one's Another Day in the Death of America by Gary Young. Um, so that is for just like really good, kind of good universal picks if you just need a good story for somebody on your Christmas list. So I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add to that one or not, Alice. To like now in paperback stuff? Uh, yeah, or just like any, just a good stories. Oh, I'm putting well, you on the I, spot. You didn't know. No, I always recommend uh, I Know I Am, But What Are You by Samantha B. That's a... That's a good little fun memoir. Yeah, that is a good one. I like her. Cool. All right. So we will close out this week's edition of the podcast, as we usually do, by talking about the books we are reading uh, right this very moment. So um, I feel like I've been talking for a while, so I'm going to let you go first, Alice. Oh, sure. I uh, You've been doing a fantastic job, by the way. Um, <laughs> I am currently reading a book that I feel like all of America has read, um, but so I'm a little behind the times with it. But it is The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. Um, it is actually for my book club, which I think that this was a very popular book club pick uh, when it first came out. Mm-hmm. But um, it is, of course, about uh, the woman Henrietta Lacks, who uh, her she passed away very early in her life, but her cells were are the HeLa cells that are kind of are immortal and you know like keep regenerating and um, are used uh, in tons of of medical uh, things. That's what I'm going to say uh, around the world. So they're very 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 famous cells. Um, and I'm not very far into the book in case you can't tell. Uh, I'm supposed to have finished it for Tuesday. So we'll see how that goes. It's really good so far. It's just, you know, holidays. You get distracted. Um, The book that I am reading right now is one that you have mentioned on an earlier episode of the podcast called No One Tells You This by Glennis Glennis McNichol. Uh, And it is a book, uh, it's a memoir by a woman who writes about uh, the year she turned 40 and sort of being on a path where she was not married, was not partnered, did not have any children, and not really being able to find a narrative or story that fits for that path or for, for that, um, type of life. And so she is writing about kind of exploring that and exploring her own kind of aloneness in some ways, but not in a like negative way, but in kind of a positive way and what that means for her being an independent and single person, not, uh, and I just, I have found it really interesting so far. She has a really engaging style and like a good storyteller. And, um, she kind of has gone in these digressions about, relationships, not digressions, but the ch- each chapter has sort of a different focus. And so there's been one about like her close group of women friends. There's one about some of her like bad relationships with men. Um, it's just really interesting so far. I'm really enjoying it. So and that is No One Tells You This by Glynis McNichol. That type of book always reminds me of um, All the Single Ladies by Rebecca Tracer, mm. which was just mm-hmm. such a stellar read. And I know that now she has Good and Mad and uh, that we should all read that. But um, I also always recommend All the Single Ladies. Yeah, that's a good one. Excellent. Well, we have made it through (laughs) despite all the distractions. Our first gift guide. Distractions. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, It's our first (laughs) gift guide episode. Hooray. Hooray. Oh, right. And to wrap (laughs) up. Happy holidays, everyone. Um, to wrap up, uh, you can find us on social media. Um, I am at It's Alice Time on Twitter and Kim is at Kim the Dork. 
And if you have enjoyed this week's podcast, uh, please uh, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes, uh, which helps people find us more easily. And you can also subscribe while you're there so that you can get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ugra. And I'm Alice Burton. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. <laughs>